0: The Blaze Radio Network on demand, breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're faithful. American Muslim patriot, uh, lover of freedom, dedicated to reform, dedicated to bring you the topics, the conversations that few others will have, and have a frank conversation with you about what needs to be done. What is the strategy? Not just the whack-a-mole defense, but the offense. What can we do to make America safer, and what should Muslims be leading to fix this Muslim problem that needs a Muslim solution? And the reform starts here, but involves many, many leaders within the Muslim reform movement also includes you supporters those who understand it who get it and week to week help me navigate some of the tougher issues again this week there's no paucity of topics to talk about I'm actually talking to you from London attended a uh, conference uh, this week uh, with the uh, Henry Jackson Society Um, it was an off-the-record conference but uh, bottom line is is uh, I'm gonna spend the last segment today talking to you about uh, what I feel should be a strategy for a Western Islam to emerge. But first, some big happened this week. and uh, as much as I've always uh, I, I am a strong supporter of Israel. I've always felt that the Palestinian movement has been its own worst victim. Uh, in that it has uh, allowed itself to be hijacked by the Islamists, by Hamas, by terror organizations, and has avoided giving itself uh, the respect it needs by having a non-violent, moderate representation of its own needs, wishes, and aspirations, and thus has been spoken about and for by its most violent elements. Having said that, this week the big thing that happened is president trump decided to that the time was now to declare that the united states of america would recognize jerusalem as the capital of israel and you know this is something that every almost every presidential aspirant has said they would do when they became president but when they come in they declare that the national security paradigm is such that it does not allow this type of declaration and that would destabilize the Middle East, etc., etc. But it's irrational. It makes no sense. We recognize Israel in 1948 upon its establishment, and every country has a right to determine which capital is its capitals. We either recognize whether... It's all of Jerusalem, or right now it's West Jerusalem. There is a part of Jerusalem that has been the seat of the Israeli government since its inception, or at least close to its inception, and officially with various moves over the past 70 plus years of Israel's existence. So, yet, despite the fact that the Knesset, Israel's parliament, is in Jerusalem, Despite the fact that the Supreme Court holds its functions in Jerusalem, despite the fact that most of the ministries, the equivalent of the cabinet, is based in Jerusalem, no embassies have been placed there. As CNN's graphic in its one-sided presentations this week showed, it said... 86 embassies are in Tel Aviv, zero embassies in Jerusalem. But again, they've taken the lead from the United States. They've taken the lead from the leaders of the free world. And to President Trump's credit, he said enough is enough. Now, there's no good time. People are saying, well, it's not the right timing, et cetera, et cetera. They said there's been setbacks now in the peace process, on and on. I have to tell you, I mean, looking at the, the speech that President Trump read this week. And I say read because when he's not off the cuff, his speechwriters are effective. They're clear. He pointed out that in 1995, Congress adopted the Jerusalem Embassy Act, urging the federal government to relocate the American embassy to Jerusalem and to recognize that that city, and so importantly, is Israel's capital. It was passed by Congress overwhelmingly in bipartisan majority and by unanimous vote of the Senate again only six months ago, reaffirmed. And yet for over 20 years, President Trump said every previous president has exercised the law's waiver, refusing to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem or to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital city. Presidents have issued these waivers under the belief that delaying the recognition of Jerusalem would advance the cause of peace. Some say they lacked the courage, but they made their best judgments based on the facts as they understood it at the time. Now, he makes a great point then. He says, after almost two decades of waivers, we're no closer to a lasting peace agreement than we were ever between Israel and the Palestinians. So it would be folly to assume that repeating the exact same formula would now produce a a different or better result. Therefore, he determined that now is the time to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And I think positions of strength lead to peace putting things on the table like allowing a government to not have its own self-declared capital within its boundaries not be its capital basically puts it in a position of, of inferiority which puts things on the bargaining table that don't make any sense and CNN and its graphics said the, the recognition of the capital of Jerusalem not being an international city. again, that was rejected by the Arabs, Arab governments on behalf of the Palestinians and the Palestinians themselves. So since then Jerusalem has been the capital of Israel. So again, President Trump laid out this week, he said, "We're not making any final decisions or, or statements on the status final status issues." Nothing's changing. The the negotiation issues are still the negotiation issues. But West Jerusalem, being the capital of Israel, has never been on the table for reality. And I have to tell you, my message to you as an American Muslim, as an Arab Muslim, uh, and an Arab American, is that enough, enough with the infantilization of Muslims that somehow now we're standing back this week for an onslaught of violence, an onslaught of repercussions. You have threats from Palestinian leaders that this is going to lead to a a degeneration, as if the Palestinians needed new causes, new reasons for for violence. They will always find a reason to be violent. They will always find excuses to commit bombs against restaurants and, and buses and continue the, the so-called cycle of violence, which they seem to often, if not almost every time, initiate. So at the end of the day, sometimes it takes an appreciation from a population that its militant leaders have only led them down a path of oblivion and that ultimately rational actors will continue to do what's right which is to state the obvious, and it is obvious, that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It has been functionally its seat of government, and I think it's a shame. We should be embarrassed. Instead of Muslim population standing up and saying, please, this is a mea culpa, this should have been done a long time ago, let it be recognized as such, that's where its government is, and let's get to some real issues about what is controversial, what has not been settled. But Jerusalem, being the capital of Israel, has been settled long time ago. Long before the last wars that have been fought there, Jerusalem has been part of Israel. So, regardless of what you think, now I would tell you as a Muslim, Jerusalem's importance has a lot of historical importance to Islam, but currently the center of Islamic faith and history is Mecca and Medina in Saudi Arabia. Jerusalem is arguably the third most important city in Islam. And I did go visit Israel. I did a podcast in which I talked to you about that trip recently in September. And it had a big impact on me. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the religious importance of Israel and what I think are some of the main teaching points that can come out of this more assertive stance That I think is, at the end, even if the reaction includes some violence, that does not delegitimize the statements of the obvious, which President Trump has done this week. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today, the Blaze Radio Network.
1: The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer,
0: fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power in control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism.
1: Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com/slash liars.
0: Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking this week about. President Trump's statement, simple statement, that we were going to, the United States was going to finally follow through with all of its legislation it's passed since 1995 and have a president that was no longer going to grant waivers, though, incidentally, he did sign the waiver today after the uh, statement he made, but he signed it because it's going to take three to four years before that embassy is moved officially. But having said that, for years, we've had presidents of both parties that have said that, well, ultimately, we're going to call Jerusalem the capital of Israel, but we're not going to agree with the Israelis themselves. By the way, if you disagree with this move, what percent do you think, if you polled Israeli citizens, what percent do you think agree with the fact that America and all European nations in the free world should not recognize Jerusalem as their capital, that, you know what, the, the citizens of Israel want the rest of the world to choose their own capital of their country? That's an absurd notion it's absurd, so regardless of you may disagree with Jerusalem uh being belonging to Israel, you may disagree I, I certainly don't I, I think it's obviously been part of Israel, but it is beyond incredulous that any external countries would recognize a country, the state of Israel, and then say, oh by the way, we don't like the city that you Claim to be the capital because we're afraid that the Arab world and the Muslims will be upset. And, you know, there is no greater infantilization of Muslims than that. There's nothing better, I think, than to finally treat Muslims, treat the Arab world, quarter of the world's population, which are Muslim. Treat them as adults. If they react violently, we'll condemn that. But you can't continue to give them this, even beyond the heckler's veto, the militant Islamist veto, of what's the right thing to say and then do. So it should not even be part of the negotiations to admit the obvious. Admit the obvious, which is a recognition that Israel can choose its own capital where it has its seat of government and have other countries recognize that as the capital. Should Saudi Arabia be able to tell the United States that, well, we don't like the history of Washington, D.C., so therefore we want Philadelphia to be your capital? We won't recognize, we want our embassy to be in Philadelphia, we don't want it in in Washington. Are you serious? That's been the equation. And in the meantime now, all the Hamas operatives, the Hanan Ashrawis and others are getting on television now, Al Jazeera, uh, every Middle Eastern uh, uh, tin pot dictator is getting on saying, and their ministers are saying that this is going to be the beginning and the end of the uh, uh, peace process, it's dead on arrival, and now there's going to be acts of terror and violence, that's exactly what the militants did after the Danish cartoons, and and exactly and that, that wasn't even statement of the obvious. This is statement of the obvious, and then every president for unknown reasons. And the bizarre thing is to see the responses from anchors on CNN saying, "Well, now we put national security at risk. This is completely brazen and inappropriate." You have care having its typical Hamas oriented uh, press conference ridiculing the decision to state the obvious. You have folks like Linda Sarsour making posts saying that this is not my president and uh, I, as a United States citizen, reject my government's recognition of another state's capital. It's obvious that Sarsour is a Hamas apologist. Her recent panel on so-called anti-Semitism ended up being a... A a laboratory of anti Semitism in which she actually apologized for Louis Farrakhan, one of the country's most prolifically heinous anti Semites. This is the toxicity that the left is spewing as President Trump, for all his faults and whatever you might disagree with him about, has been one of the first presidents in now almost three decades that, in over two decades rather, that has decided to follow through with what should have been American policy from the beginning to allow us to now, I believe this will push the peace process. Because as Reagan intimated, peace comes through strength. Peace comes through stating the, re, the, the rational, stating the obvious, and moving forward. That they either get on the train of, 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 of peace begin to be rational, negotiate the things that are up for negotiation, rationally, and dispense with the things that are not up for negotiation. How can Jerusalem's status be up for negotiation when the seat of the government of Israel is in the west side of, of Jerusalem? Now, the east side of Jerusalem, that's part of negotiations, absolutely. I get that. We can talk about what that should be but that's part of the negotiation process and that's not what I want to do. And I'll remind you what was almost more amazing than the United States declaring it, Czechoslovakia recognized Jerusalem now as the capital of Israel. Reminiscent of what history books tell us happened in 1948. Now countries will slowly come in with America's lead and recognize the obvious. There's little downside there's no big change in policy happening. We're just worried about a bunch of children with guns and the threat of violence reacting. And that's not how rational, free-thinking leaders react. So don't exaggerate. We t- I talked last time about the importance. You know, when I visited Israel, we went to the Knesset, we went to various neighborhoods in Jerusalem, went to the Wall, went to the Masjid al-Aqsa. And as I told you last time I was there, I was struck by the spiritual depth of the three faiths so close to one another. Question of the intense nature of the area can, cannot be questioned. It is, it is truly, historically, Arguably one of the most sensitive areas for the three major religions in the planet. And you can feel it when you're there. But you feel the communal nature. You feel the commonality. But why is it? Why is it that Jews should fear for their safety when they go to the Muslim side why is it that Jews even if they appear to be praying or Christians appear to be praying on the platform of Al-Aqsa in the, in the area between the two mosques there mosque buildings of Al-Aqsa are then told to stop from personal prayer if they appear to be leaning forward in prayer because it offends the Muslims while I've never heard of the Jewish community Offended by Muslims praying near the Wailing Wall, or Christians at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or elsewhere, upset if Muslims prayed near their profoundly holy sites. So, this is the issue. Are Muslims afraid of violence acted upon them when they go to the Wailing Wall or to the Christian sites? Why is it that the violence is only feared on one side? And why is it that acts of rationality recognizing the reality which has been American policy for decades upon decades supposed to be met with horror that we are doing something unprecedented putting national security at rest when in fact all we're doing is treating the Palestinians and the Arab Muslim world as adults. We're treating them as rational adults. So enough with the waivers. Move on. Get to the peace table with dealing with truly is on the peace table, truly, what are the questions that need to be addressed, and not wasting our time with nonsensical issues, only made issues because of the threat of violence by militant Islamists from Hamas on down. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: Hey, this is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Let's change gears a little bit this week. Um, there was a revelation that came out from the New York Times of all places that remember that painting that Leonardo da Vinci Salvatore Mundi painting that was sold for four hundred and fifty point three million dollars well why am I talking about that well the New York Times reports that remember it was a it was a secret buyer and somehow credit to them a paperwork or whatever they were able to obtain revealed that it was purchased by wait for it purchased by Prince Bader Prince Bader of the House of Sound the painting goes to him yes sirree Bob the painting went to uh, Prince Bader Purchase according to documents reviewed by the New York Times links one of the most captivating mysteries of the art world with palace intrigues in Saudi Arabia according to this week's New York Times. Prince Bader splunged, splurged, (laughs) splurged, On this controversial and decidedly un-Islamic portrait of Christ at a time when most of the Saudi Arabian elite, including members of the royal family, are cowering under a sweeping crackdown against corruption and self-enrichment. And hold on. No, 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 no. This guy is not would not have been part of the purge. He's buddies with the guy MBS, the future, Tom Friedman's man that I talked to you about last week, the future of Saudi Arabia, who's going to rid corruption, who's going to bring youth and, and modernity to women's rights and use the money that he confiscated from the other house of Saud that we're spreading for the Muslim Brotherhood to use it for good. Yep. But as it happens, Prince Bader is a friend and associate of the leader of the purge. The country's 32-year-old Mohammed bin Salman, the $450.3 million purchase is, according to the New York Times, which I guess uh, uh, Tom Friedman on the opinion side needs to read his own paper, is the clearest indication yet of the selective nature of the crackdown. The Crown Prince's supporters portray him as a reformer, but the campaign of extrajudicial arrests has been unprecedented for modern Saudi Arabia. Worrying Western governments about political stability, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So my question is... And, and wait, one more thing. A spokeswoman for Christie's auction house said it did not comment on the identities of the buyer or seller without the permission. Bader did not respond to comment. Was pressing for a response in the newly opened branch of the Louvre in Abu Dhabi in the UAE. Tweeted... That the painting is coming to the Louvre. The Saudi Khan prince is a close ally of the counterpart in Abu Dhabi. So, where do you get the money? Where's the relationship coming from? On and on. And my message to you, to reformers, to others... When you got people like Tom Friedman insulting, as I told you last week's podcast, in a racist, what I believe is truly racism, to say that somehow a 32-year-old spoiled brat prince who's never had a hard day in his life worth even talking about, somehow is going to be full of ideas in the way that Tom couldn't even write down fast enough about changes coming that would be evolution and not revolution. Somehow that was going to be great. Well turns out that they can his buddies can spend 450 million dollars on a piece of canvas on a piece of canvas so let's do the math quick let's divide that by 5 million a piece 5 million a piece or even 50 million how about 50 million per center then you can get almost 10 cent, 9 centers counter-terrorism, counter-Islamism centers, pro-liberty, pro-freedom, and an Arabic narrative that could be spread. What could we do with a center with $50 million? That would feed, fuel, a generation of thinkers to turn upside down. Turn upside down the current narrative. Imagine if you put some of that in endowments in each center, you then operationalize part of that money. Didn't fund some ridiculous, absurd, star Trekian and nonsense of a center that Trump and others opened with the with the Saudis as counter-terror in, in uh, Riyadh, which was absurd. Or was it Jeddah? I don't know where they opened that farce of a so-called hundred plus million dollar counter-terror center. They were busy spending another 450 million. By the way, on the backs of the Saudi slaves, who are also called citizens, that money bought a painting for the new Louvre in Abu Dhabi. These guys are, oh, that's such modernity. They they show how, how moderate they are by purchasing pictures of Christ and things that were just un-Islamic. That's how it's modern. I'm sure that's how they'll sell it. Is it an investment? Will they ever sell it? I don't think so. It's not an investment. So in a time in which supposedly they're rooting out corruption, we have now seen the squandering, the open explicit squandering of money that went from the banks of the Saudi citizens from the oil of the Saudi citizens to the banks and then sold in London on behalf of the House of Saud sold to cash that now over almost a half a billion dollars that could have built institutions, civil society in the West, that would have taken on every imam. That would have been a game changer, a game changer. But no, that's not what I'm talking to you about. No, we don't take foreign money, but imagine if that money was set up to supposedly not only counter terrorism but counter Wahhabism. In the West, so that he doesn't have to say that it's it's fueling their own revolution, but it would. So these people are liars. They're hypocrites. They're deceptive PR con artists who have conned over and over the American public, the Western governments, have conned them into thinking, no, this family, this son is a reformer. No, 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 this brother is a reformer. No, this uncle is a reformer. No, this son is a reformer. Over and over and over. Since my grandfather was talking about hearing about King Fahed and King Saud and King Salman. All these guys are reformers. King Faisal on and on. Oh, no, he's going to change it. No, he's going to change it. Ten years later, there's the 1990 plan. No, the 2000 plan. No, the 2020 plan. No, the 2030 plan. You get my drift. It's absurd. It's all a lie. These guys are autocrats, kleptocrats. They're cleaning out now the Muslim Brotherhood connections, which will be helpful, but the Wahhabism will stay and be grounded deeper and will end up facilitating the radicalization of Muslims across the planet, no doubt, and that radicalization will continue. It may not be as directly fueled, but the ideas emanating from the so-called guarantors and guardians of the mosque, the holiest mosque, which nobody ever gave them, but I guess th- as they feel as part of their genetics, will never change. Never change. So next time you hear about the story, about the painting, next time you hear about real reforms, next time you might bump into run into Tom Friedman ask him, how does this MBS that you're enamored with not show any public display of horror of half a billion dollars being spent on a canvas, rather than real reforms for youth scholars. Youth scholars. Yep, their family. little sitting around the, the salad dinner table. So how are we going to spend our budget today? Scholarships for the kids, a 401k. Should we buy up another movie company? <laughs> Citibank? No. Let's buy a piece of canvas. Nothing about advancing liberty, advancing critical thinking, new schools of thought. None of that. Zero. There's no reform happening. Stop being fools. Please stop being fools. The House of Saud will never change without a real revolution. And yes, that revolution might bring us backwards, might might lift up Islamists. But just like Iran, eventually Islamism will be a window towards real reform because the people will know they don't want theocracy. So the bottom line is as revolutions change happen bottom up never never top down. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This and I'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement
1: is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer,
0: fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by
1: Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com liars. This
0: is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze
1: Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Last, I'm going to leave you with some parting thoughts about strategy. I came back to Europe. I'm here this week. Uh, meeting uh, in closed-door meetings uh, with thought leaders on the issue of international security of the free world, on the issue of how to protect the West against radical Islam, radical Islamism, and working with folks at the Henry Jackson Society and elsewhere. And the question that I answered, and again, I won't share what other people said, I'll talk to you about what I've said publicly about these issues, which is, will a Western Islam emerge? How will a Western Islam emerge? Doesn't matter. Calling it a Western Islam, does that mean it's doomed to failure because we're trying to impose Western ideas upon an Eastern religion? Those are all great questions. I think that the the real answer to the question is, what do we mean by Western? I think we mean universal human rights, universal values. And I have to tell you that what I wanted to focus with you in just this short segment was think about what we do to keep you safe. Your safety is directly related to basically our entire homeland security operation, our defense department, our State Department, our whole-of-government approach has been a defensive program. We wait to figure out what their tactics are, and then we respond to those tactics to try to create obstacles, to put militant violations of law in jail, and to obviate and stop potential acts of terror. That's all defense. They initiate movements, and we obstruct them. If this is all a police operation, that's fine. But this is not a police operation. This is an ideological war. They've had a 50 to 100, you could argue, a 700-year head start on the advancement of their Islamist operation. Let's focus on the last 100 years since World War II. The Islamists through growing movements of the Mujahideen, the Taliban, the Muslim Brotherhood, Ikhwan al-Muslimin, Hamas, Hezbollah, Wahhabis, Taliban, Jamaat islamiyyah large movements of tens if not hundreds of millions of Muslims have been moving to use petro-billions to not only grow within their states that they exist, but globally and into the West. And they've been exploiting our freedoms in order to advance their ideas. We respond by creating obstacles. We respond by being on defense to their long-established, patient, generational, generational after generation. Da'wah or Islamist movements. Now, da'wah has some benign interpretations that involves education, etc. Bottom line is it's the tool by which the Islamist groups spread their ideas, which involves Salafi-Jihadi supremacism, Salafi-Jihadi insurgency. I've talked to you in other segments about what that means, but the bottom line is, is you get it. I'm trying to tell you that this is defensive. So when we talk about a Western Islam emerging, my message to anyone willing to listen, we need an offense. We need an offense. Not an offense against what they're doing, Remember, when you're on the offense on a football field, you have the ball. You're advancing it to the end zone to score. The other team can only score if they steal the ball from you, but then they have the ball, and they're moving it down the field. So what is our ball when we have it? What are we moving down the field? If we only play defense and block them from moving, that's not going to score. If we want Muslims, if we want Muslims to advance Our ideas, what is our side? Our side is about freedom and liberty. It's not about Christianity. It's not about Judaism. It's not about West. It's about universal human rights. Those ideas need to be advanced. We have absolutely no offensive programs about muscular liberalism, about the advance of secular societies as being the preeminent method by which we can maintain religious freedom and religious liberty and respect for individual rights. No offense. And I can tell you that until the West starts to have a clearer strategy about how to... I hate the phrase, when the hearts and minds has become so stale, but how to get Muslim populations to want to believe in an ism of their state, just like Americanism is about freedom and liberty under our constitution. What does it mean to be British? The Brits don't have a constitution. But yet... When you talk about what British values are, almost universally, they've been telling me here in London that you get responses that they look back and say, oh, geez, Um, okay, is it multiculturalism? No, it's not. Is it uh, the wacky British first guys? Uh, No, that's crazy. Um, Okay, so what is British values? What are foundational British values? Universal human rights, free speech, a, a defense of all under one, under God, what does it mean? They have to determine that. And they have to define that. So Brexit, I think, was a blessing. The EU was watering down national identities so that Islamism was spreading like wildfire, like a virus, like a, a, a contagion, or a cancer that was only can only be confronted, not by hypernationalism, not by nativism, but by a a, a, a valuable moral national identity based on common universal human rights. That's important. And we've not seen that. So that's the offense. The offense then is advancing those ideas in nascent societies that need new civil society organizations Tunisia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Iran the revolutions they are looking to determine what does it mean to be iranian post khomeinism post shahism what does it mean i made that shahism up but you know what i mean what is the definition of that new society and if they can't come up with a definition they're going to fail as the egyptians did and then they ne- then they had a coup Re establish a militant dictatorship that, yes, it's not Islamist, but it is a cauldron of hate and oppression and repression that prevents any reforms. Which is why the offensive strategy needs to be done in the West. It has to be done in the West. You cannot build these civil society ideas in the Middle East. But then, once you build them, you create vehicles. We transform Middle East society with Twitter. YouTube, Google, we didn't. They did, but they used our technology. So why can't we operationalize in an offensive way tactical ideas that can then be inserted and operationalized? I mean, hell, look at what we're doing on now, looking at what the Russians were doing to manipulate our democracy. And I'm not even talking about being covert necessarily about it. We should be proud of the fact that we want to advance our ideas the Russians did it subversively through electronic armies and through, through uh, fake likes and, and fake posts and other uh, uh, fabrications of information. But we can do it through using real information that would destroy the Islamists, destroy the legitimacy of the kleptocracies that control all the property rights that are buying half a billion dollar paintings instead of building real institutions. That is the future through offense. And then we can continue to play some defense to keep us safe until we begin to marginalize the Islamist threat, the Islamist influence, and the Islamist domination of the Islamic establishment. Give that some thought this week. What are we doing? What are you doing locally for offense to advance your ideas into your Muslim communities? And offense doesn't always mean uh, confrontation. It doesn't always mean... Uh, attack, it can be done humbly and nicely. Uh, you know, just like religions believe in missionary work for their faith, why don't we do missionary work for liberty, for freedom, for human rights? I'm not ashamed of that. I don't care what religion you are, if you're doing missionary work into Syria for human rights, I love you and you're going to do good. Whatever religion you might be, or no religion because you're helping humanity share those values. Give it some thought. Talk to your neighbors. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. God bless you, and I'll talk to you back home from Phoenix, Arizona next week on Reform This.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on
1: the Blaze Radio Network.